what's going on, DPB gang? Welcome to this episode of The Dealer Playbook, a podcast that explores what it takes to create a thriving career in the retail auto industry. I'm your host, Michael Cirillo. Looking forward to today's conversation with Jason Rice from Pop, all about how used cars are the saving grace of 2020 and beyond. All right, so we've had about uh, 60 days of wrapping our head around the quote-unquote new normal. That seems to be the, the phrase that a lot of people are using. And I think, you know, at the beginning of this whole pandemic, we had 14, 15 days of panic as everyone tried to understand, like, what what do we have to do? What What is the way around this? How do we navigate all of this uncertainty? But one of the things that um, really stands out to me and the reason that I'm particularly uh, delighted to have you on the show with me, Jason, is the fact that you're posting, I've been following, you're posting these screenshots of inventory and sales and dealerships who are merchandising in a certain way or are following your program and, and figuring out a way to navigate this. And I, I thought it was particularly inspiring to see like, hey, if you follow a strategy, here's what's possible. And so I want to turn this over to you and say, okay, well, what from your vantage point and your experience, what is the difference between the dealers that are still still managed to sell? Some of them broke records in April. Versus those that that just kind of got stuck in this perpetual hyperloop of not knowing how to navigate all the uncertainty. Well, you know, I, the the biggest difference is a lot of our dealers that we've, I mean, we've been doing this now for almost seven years, and we try to keep dealers what we call lean and clean. Carry what you sell, sell what you carry. If you get a hundred in stock, let's sell a hundred. So the benefit of a lot of our clients have been with us, and some of the screenshots I've been sharing. You know, some of these stores are selling. I think the last one was selling 90 with 58 in stock and only 35 of them are fully photoed ready for sale. So I think those type of results right now are because dealers aren't in a rush to go buy. So they're, they're getting some volume going Uh, and these dealers would typically, instead of just having the 50 or 60 in stock would probably have 80 or 90 in stock still selling that 90, except for the fact that they're just not really replacing or at the level that they used to. So they're getting real efficient with what they have, which is great because again, because uh, you know, it's cash flow. If they can maximize their cash flow and keep some of the money at the dealership and not have to be tied up in or in the bank and not be tied up in inventory, um, you know, that's gonna get a lot of dealers through this successfully. So uh, a lot of our stores, I was just talking to one of my guys this morning, I think on pace with uh, 120 sales with 70 or 80 in stock. And, and they used to have to carry 120, 150 to do that type of results. So I think a lot of dealers are getting more efficient in their process, streamlining it better, um, and getting better results out of their people. Because I think a lot of people too, I mean, to be honest, uh, might feel a little bit threatened, obviously, with their jobs and stuff to where they're making sure everything's tight because they don't want to lose uh, you know, their job and making sure they're staying on pace. And so I think everybody's getting a little bit extra out of everybody. and extra out of their inventory and stuff too so yeah and does this is this like affected by um have you seen an effect on trades and and things of that nature is there a different way that we need to be navigating the trade scenario in a time like this where obviously the the consumer on on a lot of these inventory you know if i'm the consumer i know what i'm into the vehicle and I know what I need to get out of it. Maybe I, maybe I'm negative equity, maybe not, but I ultimately mm-hmm. know 
hey, well, here's what the vehicle's worth. And maybe we're in a situation where dealers can't necessarily give what that vehicle is worth. Have you seen, is there a shift in how we need to be dealing with trades and, and things of that nature? Well, yeah, there's been a big shift overall with just having to do trade-ins, not necessarily sign unseen, but, you know, different ways to, to do them. You know, we had a, one of our dealers that, that actually, because they didn't do a whole inventory guaranteed valuation on their website, have to drive to the consumer to appraise their cars and stuff like that. So trades are going to be tricky because a lot of it's wrapped around new car business. Um, you can get trades on used cars, but depends on, again, what kind of used car you're selling. If you're selling a 2012 or something, you might get a 2008 with 200,000 that you don't retail out of. So New new is usually where the trade-ins are being driven from. New, a lot of it's down. And um, even though they have these big incentives, a lot of people with the economy and layoffs you know, are happening. So you definitely want to make sure you're maximizing your appraisal process, um, making sure you're capturing every appraisal, making sure if you bump the trade that you're documenting that, you're documenting any uh, information on the vehicle, photoing it. Um, just make sure you're tracking and training that. Because it's usually the most important thing that happens on the showroom floor that doesn't get tracked as effectively as other things. Right. But yet it affects how many used cars you have in stock, your gross profit, your volume sales. So trades are getting trickier. Um, you know, but there's obviously, not that this is a good thing, but there's an abundance of vehicles available out there in the market. So it's kind of like the housing market. You know, you finally get to sell at the top of the market, but then when you go buy, you're also buying at the top of the market. Um, Right now, it's at the bottom of the market. A lot of these wholesale values have dropped 10, 15, 20%. So trade-ins are worth less too. So and some of these consumer sites hasn't caught up to that. You know, yeah. ABB I, might say it's worth 15 grand and it's going for 10 at the lane. Right. Now. right. I, and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how, how would you navigate that with a customer who ultimately is going to still be using tools like KVB, one of the other trade appraisals who, who haven't maybe caught up to everything that's going on? Is there a way to navigate that with customers? Is it just education? I mean, my, my mind always goes to, I saw a couple of reports where obviously we're still on mass, like kind of generalizing here, but I mean, we're still dealing with this stigma of, well, they're just going to tell me what they, they need to say in order to make the deal work in their favor. How would you suggest a dealer navigate the whole trade scenario? Um, helping the customer ultimately understand, yeah, like that tool might be saying that, but they're not understanding the element. Well, I think it's going to be a double-edged story because one, if I was a dealer, I'd probably grab some articles to back up my, 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 you know, Wall Street journals and uh, articles and things like that, that do show, you know, the headlines of values being dropped Two, You can run MMR uh, sale reports and share that with consumers. If you want to be open and show them, Hey, here's 20 that just showed a sold at the auction for this amount, along with the articles can help back that up. And, and again, our communication skills are going to be so important because right now you, you don't get to see eye to eye with the customer. You can't just sit them behind the desk, get a body feel. You know, a lot of times you can just tell by the body motions and eye contact, you know, what kind what, if they're upset, if they're not. And, and if you can, you know, if you're, if you're winning that battle. And so a lot of this is going to have to be done over phone and, and uh, email. So, in sending that communication out to the customer, the bad thing is the double-edged sword is, well, they could say, well, then why am I paying this much for your car? So it's going to be a balancing act. And that's where communication is going to be so crucial. I just realized that over the last week or two, you know, um, 
I spent eight plus years on the retail end in 1997, 1998, I was selling cars off the internet. And I don't tell me I can't sell a car off the internet. I communicate it real well over emails and, and, right. and phone. So I know I could sell a car off the internet before, you know, 2000s we were doing that. But it, it's going to be even more important nowadays because you're not sitting behind somebody and you don't get that body language. You can't cater to them. You can't give them a drink and, you know, make them happy. You know, it's, it, it's, it's going to be a tough um, and so again, going back to trade-ins and overcoming that, it's just it's a lot of communications. And then, yes, I'd be very upfront. I would, I, I'd show them, you made some MMR run list, uh, sales reports. I would show them some headlines about the volumes of vehicles and the decline of them and the abundance of the supply and, uh, try to win them over that way. It's going to be a tough battle. As you were speaking, one of the things that came to my mind and I could, I mean, I, maybe this has nothing to do with it, no bearing at all, but I just thought about how for so long this is a <laughs> i mean this is an indication of how good we had it that we had to create a whole debate for as long as it lasted around millennials mm, you know yeah. in the industry but i yeah. almost thought well hey maybe this is actually an advantage or it turns out to be an ultimate advantage because millennials know how to communicate really well over text and sure. you know di digital digital mediums where if we just get them up to speed on the process Maybe they'll have a much more effective chance at communicating effectively. And the communication piece that, that you're talking about really intrigues me because I feel like, especially this day and age, people that, that feel like they're over communicating, it actually turns out that they're probably just barely communicating enough. Mm -hmm. And so I love what you're saying. Like, hey, we don't have these certain things at our disposal right now, like the, the human, like in person, looking you in the eyes, sitting across the desk or whatever. So I'm going to have to go deeper on the whole demonstrating transparency, however I possibly can. And I love what you're just talking about the practicality of, well, like, hey, let's just gather a file of of social proof. Here's some articles. Here's some links you can check out. Here's the MMR sales report that that we have. Here's what we're seeing. Here's all the things that we're considering as we look to make a, a deal. And I think ultimately consumers are going to be pretty open to that. Um, I think to your point, like. The one thing that I think comes out of this whole deal is that we are now being encouraged due to these circumstances to give our customers the level of transparency that they've been expecting for quite some time as it, as it is. And it might be uncomfortable for us, but I think change is always uncomfortable. Evolution can mm -hmm. always be a little bit uncomfortable, but, but ultimately it's going to be a very positive thing for all of us. Um, you had mentioned uh, the wholesale market. I mean, what do you what do you see as it stands there? There's going to be a huge. There's obviously a huge surplus of of inventory. How do you how do you navigate the whole the, the wholesale market? Is there still a place for that? Do we have to navigate it differently? Are we looking at different things? Like how are how are you looking at wholesale uh, and and or auction type uh, stuff right now? Well, the data is so skewed because retail drives wholesale. Okay. And a lot of people think it's opposite. Whatever they buy at wholesale, you know, is what they try to sell on retail and market up, but retail drives wholesale. So the retail hasn't been there yet. And so all these values that you see, you know, uh, MMR is doing a, a, a data point of what percentage of MMR cars going for. Essentially, you know, you get MMR value, let's say it's 10 grand. And if the car is going at the lane at nine grand, they say it's going 90% of MMR. Right. Well, the problem is eventually MMR gets down to the nine grand it's been going for. So then instead of 90%, 
you see this MMR index at 100%. So you think the market's gone up because it's gone from 90 to 100, but all it is is MMR reset itself. The other problem is, is just because, you know, if 50 cars ran and only six of them sold for 10 grand or nine grand, whatever that number is, are they really worth that when the other 40 didn't sell? So that's what you're not seeing. There's so much no sale happening, you know, like upwards of 75 plus percent of no sales happening because of the floor, the caps that anybody. So even the values you see right now aren't true values when there's that much no sales going on because that car is really not worth that or at least and until the retail starts picking back up and everybody's at the lane starting to grab stuff, it's kind of like the stock market. You wait till it's, you know, buy low, sell high. You wait till it's low. Uh, these, these, these no sale, maybe, and maybe they're rental car companies with fleets trying to dump, dump these cars and they want 12 grand and the highest bid's 10. And so all these no sales are happening. Then all of a sudden 10 turns to 11 and then do they hold out or they just go ahead and, and, and go ahead and start dumping them and, and letting these things fly. And that's, it's probably going to be 60, 90 days at least before we actually see a more stable wholesale information. So that's the hard part. NADA retail, Kelly Blue, but all of them are pulling from these auction data. Um, and so you got to pull it from somewhere. You know, I understand banks and loans and all that's got to get their number from somewhere, but right. you know, it's almost obsolete right now until you know, higher volume as cars start selling. That's yeah. not going to happen until retail has. It, you're going to see, what do, you, what do you think? You're going to see a huge volume of Hertz vehicles start entering the, the market. I'm, I'm seeing some rumbling about a Hertz bankruptcy. Yeah, you know, I just posted an article last night about that. And um, it, they basically, they had a cap by today to file. And then I think it got pushed to May 22nd um, furlough. But even in, in that article, it states, you know, just like any other company, I think Gold Gym is going to be in that scenario, Macy's and stuff that, they file bankruptcy. They still get to operate. It's just a way to, you know, rearrange their debt and loans. Um, so if they still get to operate and work through that bankruptcy, you know, that they're going to obviously keep a good chunk of their cars because they're going to have to, you know, still try to figure out a way to. So, yeah, I mean, but there are still a lot of fleet rental car companies that are going to be, that have tried to dump them because they've got to get the, either the new models replaced and stuff like that. So, and then, of course, ride share. I, I just say, I see a big uptick in road trips and, and things like that. And even business travelers, if they can be more regional, they'll probably take their car. You know, who wants to, who wants to get in an airplane right now and then go get in a rental car, who knows had it, and then go sit in a hotel that God knows who's been in, you know, that kind of thing. So I just think a lot of road trips are going to start happening and maybe these late model cars start selling I tell you what, we're already doing, the Cirillos are doing road trips like it's the 80s right now. Mm -hmm. Because like, what else do you do as a family? You can't go anywhere. The parks are closed, all these sorts of things. So it's like, hey, let's go explore. Let's go take a road trip. And and I'm with you. I think the funny thing that this pandemic has highlighted is that pre-pandemic, people used to like make, not not make fun, but just like tell me to calm down because I'm a bit of a germaphobe as it is. You know, they'd be like, oh, Mm -hmm. come on, calm Mm -hmm. down. Yeah, so so the, the dude doesn't wash his hands at the movie theater and then goes straight to the concession. Like, we get it. They're disgusting. And I'm like, no, that that is super disgusting. Like, I'm not touching. <laughs> I am walking through the theater like this, you know? Oh, wow. And now this pandemic happens, and, and now everybody, I kind of go like one little pandemic happened, and everybody now knows how I yeah. feel all of the time. Yeah, like the <laughs> so introverts, what, all of a sudden the introverts going, oh, oh, see, man. it's a good world, ain't it? What, what you're saying about airplanes and stuff, like that's me on an airplane as it is. I just kind of like, yeah. so can I buy all this whole row just so I don't have to, you know, well, like, and 
our state parks are still open. So we have a, a camp, oh, we have nice. a big uh, trap, uh, tra- fifth wheel camper and right. we've had it for a few years and didn't get to use it much last year, but yeah, we've already used it once. We got two other trips planned and, uh, cause again, it's your own vessel, right? It's your, yeah. your, your sheets, your blankets, your food, your kitchen. I mean, it's, it's your own stuff. And that's why I told my wife, I'm like, I'd rather drag this thing around and we've had it for years and we've tra- camped a lot, but I'd rather carry this thing around instead of flying somewhere and getting somebody's hotel and stuff. We can just totally. Our own space. Now this brings up a good point because I mean, as far as pre-owned specifically, I, I feel like, you know, what we're seeing here is people have realized, see, when times are good, your vehicle is a luxury. It's like, oh, this is so nice. I've got a vehicle. But I think very quickly we realized, well, wait a second. This is freedom. Yeah. My vehicle is, a, is utility. I need a vehicle. And, and you had mentioned ride sharing. I mean, Ubers are sketchy you know 95 percent of the time as it is i think a lot of people are realizing hey there's more utility in this do you do you see this then just based on financial situations and things of that nature from some of the data that we're we're seeing do you think now this means a a bigger uptick in pre-owned moving out of this and maybe less luxury buys like hey yeah I, i did the whatever but now i'm thinking like maybe i just need to go for something that's a little more uh, cash responsible, a little more gives me the utility and gives me my own space that I can control. Yeah. And that's where I, I did an article a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think CPO can be the winner out of this thing if done properly. And what I mean by that is if these manufacturers, cause they got to realize, I know they want to keep their volume of new car sales, right? I mean, that, that's, they're going to, that's true. Sure. They have to. Right. But a lot of the manufacturing, the plants were closed or switched over to a different product, right? Creating um, masks and stuff like that. Uh, so the production's been down. So it, one way to, I mean, one way to drive your brand still is through CPO. So I was saying if, you know, these the manufacturers should actually put as much attention and maybe money behind CPO cars. Uh, offer the same, maybe instead of 0% for 84 months, but zero for 60, maybe waive the fee for the dealer to certify the car. Um, maybe do a 90 day deferral payment program. You know, if you put a program like that out there for consumers and the new cars, even though they have the great incentives and the customer might want it, but the production's not there to provide it, you know, that's a good switch car. And so if they put this money behind it and push CPO, um, you're going to get dealers buy-in because, again, if they waive the fee, that's the biggest challenge. A lot of dealers, they didn't want to spend the extra 500 plus money to certify a car because then the gross isn't there. Right. And then you're going to get the, so the buy-in of the dealer, the consumer, it's a good alternative because they save thousands and get good rates. And then it's a, a good intro car. Maybe they drive the CPO for a few years and later down the road, they feel comfortable to go into the new model. Um, and it, what it will do is that trickle-down effect. It'll help stop the all these rental cars and all these lease returns are going to come hit this market and the, and it's going to make the, these values drop well if the 20s and the 19s drop well then the 18s and 17s drops and so forth and they need these these re, these these values to hold because they need the residual values right the future value of that car to hold so they can run leases on new cars so i do think used cars will win out of this because um you know, they've had the 0% for 84 months. I don't know. There hasn't been a big volume of sales like it. Um, I, I remember 9-11 uh, in October, you know, 9-11 happened in September. October was the 
first time they ever offered 0%. And I was doing internet sales. And I remember coming in in my office and on my phone, literally at 8.30 in the morning, there'd be 10 voicemails and 40 emails. People are just flooding the market buying cars. It hasn't happened yet because I don't think people feel comfortable with leaving their houses right. and doing it that way. So yeah. the, that volume hasn't happened on new cars. Um, and so I don't know if it will or if it's just waiting for people to be able to be more comfortable to, okay, I'm going back to my job, my income's secure, now let's take advantage of these offers, or if it's not gonna come, then yeah, I mean, they're gonna have to do something. And some of these manufacturers had done some CPO offers, I think Volkswagen or Volvo or Mercedes-Benz, and some of them are starting to do that, but I think CPO could become the winner out of this thing if handled right, and, and again, that's the used car tournament because of budgets and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, we see just from an interest level, yeah, it's great that there's all these new vehicle incentives and payment deferrals and all those sorts of things. And I mean, that's certainly, that, that's a great thing for anybody that's in a, in a brand new vehicle. But I'm even seeing just from, say, like a Facebook marketplace perspective, where a lot of dealers, of course, are putting their pre-owned inventory, that surprisingly, there hasn't been too big of a decrease in people still reaching out to dealers on these pre-owned units. And I think that's just an indication of, of what you're saying, like, Hey, this is going to hold. And, and maybe this is going to be the, the shining star of this whole pandemic. And it's going to hold us through until people start to return to the market or maybe more comfortable leaving their home or like whatever the case may be. But I mean, if we look at the historical data from 08, 09, it was kind of like it was a bumpy road 08 and 09 and it was in 2010 2011 that we started to see the engine turn back on a little bit and so yeah but i think they, they, they did that cash for clunkers though and if yeah. they can't do another round of that that'll just no. kill it would kill the wholesale uh, wholesale values of these used cars um and because the new car business and the new cars, you can't, you won't have this many trades. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's just gonna, it, it would not be a good thing. And I mean, even Dale Pollock did an article about similar right. thing with what I was saying, you know, cash or clunkers will kill it. Let's put something yeah. behind these late models. You know? Yeah. And I'm, and, and you know what, like just the whole psychology of like, I bought a, like, like who's attracted to buy now, not to sound judgmental, but I mean, like I'm a marketer. So it's like, who's honestly interested in, in, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to go buy a clunker. And it's like, yeah. okay, but then think about all of the, the cost behind servicing a customer that wants a clunker because they usually have the highest expectations to begin with. Sure. You know, well, so I think, too, I mean, a lot of those cash cars are going to be important for some people though, right now. Cause think about a lot of people, especially in the, the city and stuff Yeah. with rideshare, they might go, you know what? I'm better off just buying a three or four grand car and just letting it sit. You know, totally. if I use it, I use it. I don't, I don't, but it's better than getting these Ubers or taxis right now, you know? Totally. So. Yeah. So, so, and it brings it right back to the validating point of your vehicle is a utility. Like this is, mm -hmm. it's a need, it's a free, it's for freedom and, and you need it. So, so I think that's interesting. Now I want to, I want to kind of pivot a little bit and say, okay, you know, obviously there's a lot of dealers saying, well, I've got the inventory I've got. If I was to shift, anything if i wanted to shift my focus what should i be doing right now especially as dealerships are starting to open up or sales departments are starting to open up by appointment of course there's regulations in place to keep everybody safe and all those sorts of things but if i'm opening up what should my focus be over the next 30 60 90 um 
30 and 60, I think obviously um, share what you're doing on these cars. You know, if you're doing these or the cleaning and, and getting rid of, and a lot of these uh, new company or companies are out there, you know, making sure the bacteria, there's everything's clean. You do the gloves, you're doing the mask, you're doing everything you can to protect the customers. I think over the next 30 to 60 days, they need to hear that kind of message. So push that out there. Don't be afraid to do videos and, and show customers. Um, even if, even if it's a Facebook video or a YouTube video for your website, if it's a two minute video, or even if you did a live and no one watched it, that's fine. It's something to capture to send the customers, you know, 20 days down the road, say, Hey, check out this quick video, show you how clean our car is going to be when you bring, when we bring it to you type of scenario. So let customers know what you're doing on that end. Um, and then again, I think just, Appraisal process is going to be important because you're going to have to figure that out. Uh, a lot of times, again, some of these, uh, if customers aren't coming into you, you got to come to them um, and, and figure out how you can transact and, 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 and do the, the, the money on that. And, right. and what I'm hearing from a lot of people is the customers are a little bit more laid back as far as not beating them up on pricing. And it's like, holy cow, well, maybe you're doing the, doing business the way they want to. And they're willing to spend a little bit more money for convenience, you know. So promote that convenience. Be, again, the cleanliness of the car, the convenience of coming and getting it from them and that they don't have to leave their home. Um, I think they'll pay for that extra convenience. So I think, but the other thing right now is um, price is driving cars. I would almost say if you, if you can get a, Aggressive with your price, get off of it. Even if you're taking a beating because of what you paid for that car a while back, take that first beating because the second and third for now over this next six will be, you'll, you'll be profitable by the second transaction. What I mean by that, if you take a three grand beating to price this car to get off of it, you can go to the lane and buy it three or four grand cheaper and price it competitively and make 1500 or two grand on it. You know, by the second or third transaction on that 20 grand investment, you're breaking even and you're getting out of this. I'd hate to be that guy 60 to 90 days from now still sitting on cars that he bought in February that are worth yeah. way less. Yeah. So get off of what you paid high for back in January, February, in the beginning of March. Get off of it now. Get very competitive with pricing. Move it and then go to the lane and buy cleaner stuff. You always want to be a buyer at current market values and it's not. At, it's never been as more important than that. I love this perspective because it's, I mean, I really feel strongly about this as well. Like you're, you're not, I think too many people are going to try and hold on to the money and they're not realizing the depreciation of the vehicle, the cost of having it sitting there. The the fact that what you just said, current market value of this thing, like you're doing more damage to yourself than, than just taking the hit. And yeah, it's not going to be comfortable, but just you're doing what you have to take. The, the monetary wherewithal is not going to be there right now. But you got to get out of this thing. You need to be able yeah. to move forward with current market value vehicles. And the more you can then promote that, like I say, if you if you just say, well, I'm going to sit and maybe the market comes back and then I'll make my money. Well, it, there is a thing called holding cost, right? And it's 30 bucks, at least 30 to 50 bucks a day sitting on your lot. So at 30 bucks a day and you hold it for another 100 days, that's $3,000. Not only are you hoping that the market comes back a grand or two, but you just spent three grand percent versus selling something now, taking that two grand hit or three grand hit even now, you can replace it cheaper. But now you got a customer that bought something from you. Like again, you can promote, let people know what you're doing. That they see, they see other people out there buying cars from you. So you know, then obviously it's not that big a deal. So maybe they'll buy a car from you, type of thing. So I, I think you need to promote 
that you're still in business and people are buying cars and they're getting great deals. And then, uh, yeah. So when you come out of this thing, again, you're lean and clean and you're buying at current market values. Open. I would say they, uh, this not to be political. This is just a campaign slogan. Uh, Obama's hope and change strategy. I always say that doesn't work in used cars. You can't hope that somebody comes in and pays too much for your vehicle or right. that the market changes somehow and all of a sudden becomes more valuable. The hope and change strategy doesn't work in used car ownership. Yeah, I think that's hilarious. And and also, you know, to, to that point, I love that you're, you're bringing up strategy because this is often the part that we don't talk about enough when it comes to business strategy, that sometimes business strategy is going to include having to cut something loose and take a hit on it so that you can move forward. And I love just that you said several times this because that really is the ultimate strategy for, for a lot of things. Like I want to run my business lean and clean so that I am more flexible to be able to do certain things. And if anything, I think this whole experience has maybe pushed that reset button to help us realize what ultimately matters most. Like focus your attention on the things that matter most and and this idea of lean and clean is something that should be at the forefront of our minds constantly. Yeah, well, I, you know, I started with Viato in 2005, and um, I was one of the first employees. I mean, the, 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 the good and bad of it, um, the good of it was, you know, Viato took off during the recession, 08, 09, because new car sales just fell off the cliff and dealers needed to find a way to survive, and that was used cars. Right. Um, so that was it, was, it was good and bad watching it because I've watched, you know, some of my clients lose their fran Chrysler franchises, try sure. to turn into used corporations, watching dealerships close up doors. And it was, it, but it was a benefit because, but here's the dang thing, you know, here, here we were just over the last couple of years having record months. And I'm like, man, you know, you guys forgot what 08, 09 looked like. Why are you running so sloppy with your inventory? But they could because, you know, they always say that the, you know, worst ha habits form at the best of times. And, you know, these, I kept seeing dealerships. I'm like, my gosh, guys, you need to clean up your inventory. You need to worry. And, and now it's the reset. You know, now, now all of a sudden everybody remembers what it was like 08, 09. And, and, and the processes are coming back in place. And the lean and clean becomes a benefit again. I just hope yeah. it lasts longer than just a few years, like after, after the recession. But How quickly we can forget, huh? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's. Lest we forget, that's going to be the new, this is going to be the whole thing, this once in a hundred year experience that each of us have, have uh, experienced together. I hope we don't forget and I hope more businesses, myself included, um, really focus on what matters most and that we don't forget the lessons that we're learning because that, that I think, honestly, we've been giving, we, we have been gifted opportunity on a silver platter. And there are those that are going to see it that way. There's those that are going to be stuck in the whole doom and gloom of it. And they're not, they're just going to revert to their old ways and they're not going to have come out of this any better. And I hope that's not the case, but I mean, just historically, we see that that, that happens. Um, man, this has been a, a total delight. I'm so glad that you were able to join me here on the dealer playbook podcast. Um, how can those listening get in touch with you and learn more about what you do? Uh, easy. Jay Rice at lotpop.com. And, um, or I have even given myself three, one, four, five, six, eight, two, seven, five, four. But also, you know, on YouTube, we have a channel lot pop Inc. Uh, and I, man, there's over 200 videos on there. Oh. Some are two to five minute tips. Some are interviews with dealers, similar to this interview here, but, um, you know, a ton of 
free information out there, of, you know, how to run your inventory over the last four or five years worth of videos. So there's a ton of content there. Awesome. So just subscribe there. And I usually post something at least once a week, if not twice a week on kind of what we're seeing out there. Because what we do at LawPop, you know, it's nothing proprietary because we do weekly calls with our dealers, process management with them, help them stay accountable and second set of eyes. And we got reporting data to, you know, back up our decisions with their stuff. But everything that we do, they could do themselves. I just know, again, we're usually busy dealing with, with what's been in our face and all the yeah. stuff that we're, we're doing with them. So, it, you know, all those tips I have on there, again, things they can do. It's just a matter of staying on top. So hey. that's a good resource. Wise people learn from experience. Super wise people learn from others' experience. Yeah, exactly. uh, that's it. Hey, you're the man. I really appreciate you joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Jason Rice from Lot Pop Auto. I mean, the guy is just such a wealth of information, and you know that very clearly. He knows him some pre-owned inventory. It was really cool and enlightening just hearing how well he was um, versed on everything that's going on out there and certainly appreciate his vantage point about how 2020 and beyond can be saved by used vehicle sales. And I really love what he was talking about, about the importance of running lean and mean. I can attest to this. My organization, my companies, we focus on running lean and mean, and that has proven to be such a valuable asset, a valuable strength to us, not just during uh, pandemic and crisis and recession and all that sort of a thing, but just when times are good as well, it shows you what you're actually capable of. I think there's a lot of organizations out there, and this isn't just particular to inventory or merchandising, that they're maybe running a little heavier than they think they or or that they know they should be, and therefore they're not able to move swiftly and abruptly when it is needed. I mean, it's funny to think like just you know, six months ago, a year ago, you go to these trade shows where they're spending two, three, four million dollars on a booth and hiring all these extra employees and how sexy that can look when times are good. But the reality of it is it's never sexy when you got to lay off a ton of people or when you're sitting on aging inventory that now you're not even going to break even on um, just because you thought it was cool to have a massive lot with a, with a ton more vehicles than you probably needed. So there's a ton of validity in Jason's message. now. Listen, if you heard something of value in this episode or maybe some other episode of the podcast, be sure you've clicked that subscribe button so you're always getting notified when new content drops. By the way, we are five days a week, five days a week, six years into this deal and five days a week, bringing you as much value as we possibly can. Now, don't stop there. We're on a mission to enrich and empower retail automotive professionals around the world, and that is something that we here on the show cannot do without you. So would you do me a favor, a huge, huge favor and share the podcast out with those in your circle? I mean, just think about how much more powerful your dealership could be if everyone on your team was rallying around the same campfire and consuming the same information. Imagine how you could be using the dealer playbook as a tool in your morning meetings to discuss what you've learned, to discuss what you know, powerhouse juggernauts like Jason Rice are talking about. I mean, that's the whole point. It's not just about listening. It's about applying. It's about taking this, everything that we talk about and applying it to the context of your situation so that you can get the most value. Now, by the way, you can get the full show notes and resources from this episode over at thedealerplaybook.com forward slash episodes. 
Right now, when you visit my website, I'm actually giving away my number one best-selling book, Don't Wait, Dominate. That's for those who subscribe to my newsletter. It's absolutely free. I'm going to send you a, the full PDF of that book so you can look at it on your mobile device or on your tablet or on your computer or something like that. So definitely do not miss your chance to grab that right now. Now, whether you're checking out the show for the first time or you're a seasoned vet, you know that we are all about building relationships of trust. So make sure you reach out to Jason and let him know what your thoughts are about this content and, and reach out to him and learn about what he can do for you. I know that would just warm his soul and certainly would mean so much to me. And heck, by the way, while you're at it, reach out and connect with me. If you want to build relationships and you haven't connected with me, well, what the heck, man? Why are you leaving me out in the cold? Why are you ghosting me? Go check at me out over on LinkedIn at Michael Cirillo. I'd love to connect and collaborate with you over there. Now, the last thing I want to tell you before I get the heck out of this studio is if you're looking to experience accelerated growth, really supercharge your career at, by following the, a proper sequence, by developing many habits and goals, and you just need that accountability, you need to connect with some like-minded individuals, sign up for my exclusive DPB Pro group on Facebook. It's not like any of the other groups out there. I know there's a lot of sales groups. I know there's a lot of um, hustler groups, and I know there's a lot of different things like that, but my group is different. It's very limited. It's an exclusive bunch of people who are like-minded. You'll get to interact with me, with my group of mentors, with other like-minded automotive professionals from all over the world. We literally have people from Canada, the United States, Europe, uh, the South Pacific in there, and we are giving them weekly actions that they can take that are going to help them level up and dominate. Okay, This is where we're sharing exclusive content, action plans, accountability. We have virtual Zoom mastermind calls. And, um, you know, the best part to join really was when we first opened the group a few months ago. But this is the second best time. So, hey, what the heck? Let's let's sharpen the axe and get signed up. Visit Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash EPB Pro. Do it now. Don't wait. Dominate.